Yong. Welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. With me today, I'm joined by two guests. First of all, I have Mark Donovan. Hello, Mark. Hello. And from the Forgotten Failures Podcast, I have Lindsay Bosco. Hello, Lindsay. Yes, hello. And today we are covering episode five of season three, uh, originally broadcast on the 7th of November 2005, uh, exactly one year after the, um, <laughs> the premiere of season two. Um, uh, called Mr. F. Uh, <laughs> Mr. It was written F. by, it was written by Richard Day and Jim Vallali, both of whom have written episodes with Mitch Hurwitz. Um, like they've essentially both been writing partners for him on this show. Uh, Richard Day being a new writer for season three, and it was directed by Arlene Sanford, um, who is a veteran uh, TV director. Uh, who I believe directed at least one other episode of um, Arrested Development in like season one, um, uh, and I can't remember if Arlene. I think Arlene is definitely a woman, um, and she. I think I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. She's directed, uh, you know, a number of of episodes of TV shows such as Desperate Housewives and um, Everwood. You know, she did one episode of The West Wing. Um, she's done. Oh. Yeah, she did. Uh, it's it's in season one. There was a lot in the West Wing in season one. They had a lot of like guest directors, and then by season two, they kind of settled into a rotation. Yeah, yeah. Um, most notably, she she directed um, a very Brady sequel, uh, which is where <laughs> I first know her from. She won um, uh, two Emmys for directing David E. Kelly shows, uh, one for Ali McBeal and one for Boston Legal. Um, uh, she directed a few episodes of Malcolm in the Middle as well, which might explain why Frankie Muniz shows up here briefly. <laughs> yes, to talk about yeah, uh, mad cow disease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, she also directed, and I—I I mean, I don't know this. I mean, she directed um, "I'll Be Home for Christmas," um, which is a, uh, a Jonathan Taylor Thomas joint. Um, hey, don't knock has, it! Don't knock it! Please try has, it. Try that JCT. <laughs> also has Jessica Biel and, and Gary Colden as well. Um, so it's like one of those... Uh, I mean, it's weird because it was like from a time when Disney would like release films into the cinemas. <laughs> yeah. Like, Does that actually make it? it was also a... a I thought that was like yeah, a also, TV thing. I will say it was a weird time for JTT because it was a, in his, uh, I believe, like early adulthood and he didn't have that like yeah. young boy hipness, freshness that... <laughs> he was starting to lose it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, he really, he just, he just didn't have it anymore, and you can tell it was a little bit sad. But and more recently, she directed um, uh, what you what is definitely a, a like direct to it's kind of like a TV movie uh, called Twelve Men of Christmas, starring Kristen. <laughs> starring I'm Christ- I'm interested, so keep going, please. <laughs> starring Kristen Chenoweth and Anna Chomsky. <laughs> Anna Chomsky just before she was she was on the verge of her kind of comeback. In V. Is this a is this a Hallmark like Christmas movie or? <laughs> it's you're close because it's it's Lifetime. Okay. Also starring um, Josh Hopkins, uh, who is better known as the uh, the guy who he was like the the he was on Cougar Town. He was he married uh, Courtney Cox's character on Cougar Town. Um, that's that's where I know him from. That's Arlene Sanford. I don't. She's, think she's experienced. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean she's directed. She's been directing for quite a while. Um, for since since kind of like the mid eighties, um, she she also did uh, an episode of Wonder Years um, and directed some Dream On, which is one of my favourite shows from the uh, from the early nineties. 
uh, about a guy who was raised by television. Um, which is I've never heard of that one. Oh, it's an HBO you've one. Never heard wasn't of, it? You've never heard of Dream? Yeah, it was HBO, but they also they did this thing where it was like a HBO raunchy sitcom. It was like a single camera thing. Oh, I but love they it. Also, they also shot a less raunchy version that went into syndication. <laughs> so, so it dep- over here they only ever showed like the HBO version, but oh, I yeah. guess in, in I'm, I'm familiar in some with kind the of... uh, syndication one. You have to see the reruns. Oh, on yeah. The box. yeah, it's got Brian Benben um, is the lead, um, and his because ex- in it he's divorced and his ex-wife um, she's also in Scrooged. Oh, she nice. plays she plays like the sister in law of Bill Murray on that. You know, awesome. the one who's married to his brother who wears the sweater and is all kind of like his younger brother who's like terrible at uh, charades or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's had an interesting career. Um, oh, you're burying the lead here. She directed two episodes of Cop Rock. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She's directed a lot. So I don't want to make this into the Arlene Sanford podcast. But yeah, she's directed, it's weird because I recognize her name from a very Brady um, sequel because... Um, you know, I really like that film. This episode, uh, I'm going to read you the, <laughs> the summary as found on TV Guide. Uh, Moles underground alert the Bluths to a mole in their company. Tobias mistakes a CIA agent for a theatrical one. <laughs> that is kind of most of the plot. Like, most of the plot revolves around this mole storyline. Yeah. And obviously that's counterbalanced with, like, Michael and Rita, which is... I mean, this is the, um, I think, third of five episodes featuring her. Or it might be the penultimate... No, it's the penultimate episode featuring her, because obviously at the end of this, the title of the episode is explained in a way um, that means that, that the next episode kind of has to be the end of this storyline. <laughs> they can't really keep going past this point. But yeah, so... Um, I, before we get into the plot properly, though, I'm just going to ask, because uh, obviously, Lindsay, you're a returning guest. Yeah. We've already found out about your history with Arrested Development. So I'm going to ask mm-hmm. Mark, um, did you watch Arrested Development when it was on the air? Uh, at this particular at this particular point, season season three was on Mondays. They'd moved it from Sundays. Um, so d- did you watch it on the air? Did you watch DVDs? Did you catch it on Netflix? Uh, you know, when mainly Netflix it? was. I saw a few episodes uh, while they aired season three um just the very beginning of the charlie's there and rita leeds uh run here but then i caught up again 2013 after uh, season four came out yeah, yeah i'm i'm okay. sort of responsible for it going off the air <laughs> i mean i think fox really are more responsible i mean <laughs> yeah um, but the, the thing that they started to do in season three was just cut down the titles to just like the sting and arrested development and yeah yeah this one this one's just mr f mm-hmm. that's that's it anyway we start with michael and rita um making some meta commentary on how yanks um uh, playing brits and how rita can always tell obviously this statement has <laughs> a certain level of irony in that charlie Theron is south african so <laughs> she's south african playing a british person I, the same as with um Dave Thomas, who obviously is Canadian, the, the film that they go to see is Love Indubitably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, um, I, I mean, they obviously the you know the footage of Love Indubitably, the original, not the remake, uh, which I think was. Was it a thoroughly polite dust-up or something? Was the yes. one which had Tony Hale as the has yep. Tony Hale as the lead, uh, and there's a discussion about a certain word that <laughs> Brits apparently can say. Um, 
I, I think it's interesting because they uh, they bleep Dave Thomas a couple of times in this episode, but they don't bleep him for swearing or, or not. I mean, I don't know. It depends. It's, it's a kind of odd territory to get into. But, you know, we see that uh, that Michael and uh, Rita are basically it's it's getting close to George Michael's birthday. We're never I don't think we ever quite get his birthday actually in this episode. We just get him having a load of different presents in preparation for his birthday. <laughs> We find out that Michael has bought uh, a Jack Welch suit for George Michael. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, <laughs> yeah, that whole scene was so like endearing uh, when it came to George Michael, and it really told you like kind of who George Michael was. <laughs> Someone who would get excited for Quicken <laughs> for a premium co- for a premium copy of Quicken. <laughs> uh, oh, and receipts. Yeah, was... Got to keep the receipt. Yep. This is something that I guess is kind of. I mean. I know there are some people in, in in this country who have to submit their kind of tax returns in some way, uh, but it's not really that common. And so, like, the idea of having to have software to keep track of, like, all your receipts and stuff, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of... I don't know. I, it's just a, a concept that is completely foreign to me because I'm like, I don't know why you would need to do that. You just pay taxes on what you earn and that's it. Who needs who needs to figure out what to write off? Yeah, that's much more of like a like a business, like a small business person kind of gift. It's not really even a <laughs> gift. It's something that a business person buys themselves. And the weirdest thing, of course, is that um, he's at this point. I think he's at least sixteen. Mm-hmm. So, like, what sixteen-year-old needs to keep track of his taxes? <laughs> I don't know. And especially that's trying the... to deduct a gift of his, like even keeping track of the cost of the gifts that he receives. <laughs> <laughs> it's so odd. But I like as well that Rita encourages Michael to kind of, you know, to get the train set. Uh, and of course, Michael says... Really, he would only like it for the receipt. <laughs> uh, which... And he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I also like that the narrator here kind of highlights, uh, like when, when Michael says, you know, he's not even supposed to be here. Uh, which is oddly enough like a, the most famous line from Clerks. So I don't know if that's deliberate, but I just <laughs> whenever I hear that turn of phrase, I think of that. Oh, that's a good call. And the narrator says, Michael couldn't tear himself away. Could you? And we just basically look at Charlie's Theron. Like, <laughs> no, of course we couldn't. Charlie's Theron is like ridiculously beautiful. It's like, it, it's just crazy. Yeah, she's like inhumanly gorgeous. <laughs> so it's it's just so, it's so strange. Um, but we get a lot of, Oddly enough, we get a lot of property kind of developer talk in this episode. Um, considering most of it is with Michael and Rita, it's really odd that uh, they kind of talk about this. You know, Rita does a lot of kind of giddy shouting and screaming as well. Yeah. And we find out that the Japanese backers um, won't, you know, fund the, the the new investment if they know that there are, is a mole problem in this on this hill. I, I like how, you know, Rita says that she, she fancies Michael and Michael says that he fancies her too. And of course the narrator says, Michael was falling for Rita. And then that's when he kind of trips and starts rolling down the hill. And Rita <laughs> follows him and the narrator says, And Rita was falling for Michael too. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I, I think is such that's a little bit of... Arrested Development cleverness that you don't get in a lot of shows. The storyline with Trevor and Rita is never... Com- like, it gets confused quite a lot because to start off with, it seems like Tre- like Uncle Trevor is encouraging Rita to get to know him. Then it seems that he doesn't want him to get to know Michael. And then, as we find out what Rita's condition is by the end of this episode, you have no idea why on earth Uncle Trevor has been <laughs> continuing 
this ruse? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Because there are parts where, like, he's driving her to go to places to meet him, like in other episodes, but he's also discouraging her from even, like, talking to him. So it's really, it can be really weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, you know, Trevor gets called by the school where he, he says, you're here to learn things, not fall in love. <laughs> yeah. Such a weird kind of thing. And then she, <laughs> she goes off on this kind of rant where she talks about how she's sick of the instructions and your letters and your little missions and your stupid assignments. And then obviously in retrospect, the line where she goes, you do the math, Rita. Well, no, you do the math. <laughs> is, means something completely different later on in the episode. And then we see that, you know, he, he, he kind of tempts her with this medal. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> at the end of the episode, we'll find out that this medal is not a medal. But it, I don't. I don't understand what I don't know. It's just it, the whole thing is. Yeah. I love it so much, but it's it's super confusing. It uh, is, and I think that um, that scene where he's showing her the medal and he's like, "You remember the promise you made, um, the pledge that you made for it." And I think that whole scene when he like he closes it real quick when she tries to grab it. I'm pretty sure that's like <laughs> a, that's a reference to Pretty Woman in the yeah <laughs> with uh, Julia Roberts because that that exact same thing happens. She does a very yeah. good Julie Roberts impression. But, yeah. Uh, first time I saw this, I missed the sugar cube uh, mission that she was holding up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your little missions. It's like, oh, well, she's a spy, right? No, no, that's that's a sugar cube house. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is where the first of of two small cutscenes would come, which is, um, you know, Michael's been rolling down the hill with Rita, and so he's covered in dirt. And as he comes home, he meets Lindsay at the bottom of the spiral staircase. And this is a shot that I don't think they ever actually did in the show, which is they have a steady cam shot as they come from the door. And then the camera follows them in front of them as they walk behind it. And they go up the spiral staircase um, up to the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how, you know, she, she says to Michael, you're, you know, your clothes are dirty. And Michael says, and so is yours. Um, because, you know, she's wearing quite a, I don't know how to describe it, like kind of like a black dress with, and basically she's trying to seduce Bob Loblaw, and uh, has, I don't know that that's a, an appropriate dress for like a maid. Yeah, she's wearing club, she's wearing club clothes, like she's she's wearing like kind of nightclub clothes during work and as like a, a maid and nanny. <laughs> and Michael makes the line about how, you know, he doesn't know why Bob Loblaw is letting, is letting <laughs> Lindsay to take care of his daughter. Yeah, um, obviously something which um, will be cut. I I can't remember when the uh, talent show is, but I, I think uh, that's the talent show was the previous she, episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she's she's trying to encourage her to <laughs> sing sexy, and then we as we get to the top of the stairs, Tobias is on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. And oh. I love the exchange where Michael says, "What happened to you?" And Tobias <laughs> says, "Oh, I got highlights. It'll blend in in about a week." Um, <laughs> which is. <laughs> I love, and I can't even see like what he's talking about. His hair just looks the same as normal. And then, of course, you know, Tobias says it probably has something to do with the four thousand hair plugs I had in one sitting, which is uh. just such a kind of this whole storyline. I mean, in, by the time we get to Prison Break In in a, a few episodes' time, obviously mm. Tobias is basically in a wheelchair, um, you know, because he, he suffers from graft versus host. Um, but like, they just kind of. 
Um, they start to hint at it in previous episodes where Tobias just starts dropping stuff. Yeah. And they don't like they don't really go big on it until this moment where we see him just crawling around <laughs> on the floor. This is the, the very start of his like quick descent into infirmity. Mm. Like he's just <laughs> it it is it is very because yeah I think it was like the previous episode where he's just starting to drop stuff and it him ending up in a wheelchair wheelchair happens so quickly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. And without him even thinking anything's wrong, really, <laughs> that it's all part of just having hair. <laughs> yeah, and um, this is now this is the weird thing. Of course, is we get to meet. He's only in this one episode, but this is uh, John Viner as Frank. Um, now, John Viner's career, to me, I recognize his voice instantly because he's done a number of voices on Family Guy and American Dad and Cleveland Show. Uh, he's a good friend of Seth MacFarlane's mm. um, and he's he's been a writer on those shows for about 10, 15 years. So roughly after like this episode, um, but he's also been an actor, but like not really acted in that much stuff. This is like one of the very rare times where he's just doing acting. Normally he does like a voice stuff. He has uh, like a very distinctive kind of voice. Um, and here he is playing Frank, uh, who is a CIA agent um, <laughs> Now I don't I don't know if the CIA is the right this is something that has plagued the show since the start which is I don't understand which government agency is coming after George like, Yeah in the in the pilot it was the FEC and then we ha- we've had the FBI a number of times um and now we have the CIA and it's just like I don't I don't know who is meant to be going after him or what they're trying to get him on um, particularly when you get to you know the reveal in the penultimate episode, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I do I do like John Viner's kind of turn here because um, you know he he wants to tr- kind of use Tobias, and obviously he goes after Tobias at the gym for some reason. <laughs> yes, that's the venue that he chooses to turn Tobias, and I don't know why Tobias is going to the gym. Um, <laughs> but for that locker look- room, for that sweet sweet locker room action. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> And I like that Frank says, I think we can be more than just gym buddies. And I love David Cross's <laughs> delivery of the line. You're blowing my mind, Frank. Um, which, of course, um, Frank Frank is also the name that people use to talk about uh, Franklin Delano uh, Bluth as well. Uh, where I'm sure there's one of the episodes where someone says, why do there have to be puppets like Frank? But here he tells Tobias that he's from the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, which the narrator tells us was responsible for this catastrophe, which is, of course, <laughs> the Bay of Pigs. And then <laughs> Tobias thinks that he said CAA, which is a talent agency responsible for this one. And this is where we see a poster for Love Indutably. Um, <laughs> I love how Tobias is kind of boasting about how Frank has got like a, a big project. This is where Tobias kind of reveals that he's been staring at Frank a little too much because he talks about how... You know, he looks like Michael and he's got, uh, you know, same curly hair, which is such an odd detail. Uh, And I don't think that John Viner looks particularly that much like Jason Bateman, but I guess maybe that's just for the joke. And of course, you know, maybe is brought up here as as Michael says, Tobias should spend less time focusing on his looks uh, and more on his daughter. Um, and I like how he says she's going to start getting Fs and the narrator tells us she already has got one. And I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but you can find the uh, the review for Love Indutably, which is titled Love Indotably. Uh, yeah. Don't Ibly. Oh, such a hard way to say it. Uh, a limey lemon, which is such a, a kind of weird 
thing, and it has has lines about how um, <laughs> the, the the reviewer says that he enjoys the you know the British romantic comedy, and he says, uh, "Hey, I'm not ashamed to say I enjoyed. Pardon me, I've fallen in love." <laughs> Such a great title for a. Um, that's perfect. <laughs> and that's and the thing is, that's a freeze frame joke. That's like a joke mm-hmm. that's that's on screen for half a second as it appears. Um, and they talk about how um, uh, Hugh Grant plays a, a guy called Sir Trevor Sturbridge. And no, sorry, Grant Hughes. <laughs> Grant Hughes, Hughes, yeah. And, yeah, uh, Grant Hughes. At the end, they the narrate the writer of the article says suggests going to see any other meg ryan movie in 2005 i want to see like what what was meg ryan doing in 2005 yeah really not much i think think she had i think that was just after she had done in the cut oh god um and it was kind of it was kind of around that time um, you know, where where she was getting into kind of like more edgier stuff. On the bright side, she did Kate and Leopold right in between those two. So yeah. <laughs> we will always have Kate and Leopold. <laughs> yes, a classic time. I do like as well that they, they refer to um uh Scary Spice doing a rendition of Hey Dude. <laughs> <laughs> which instead is called Hey Hey Dude. And, uh, <laughs> I think I would like to see Melanie Brown singing a song called Hey Dude. I uh, feel like that that could be something that happens. I feel like that's something that social media <laughs> can make happen. <laughs> and then obviously, this is where we find out that maybe he's going to turn this flop into a ride. Um, and uh, Mort Myers says, uh, because obviously the Hell Tunnel is now going to be the Tunnel of Love, indubitably. <clears throat> and Mort Myers says, didn't some people die in the Hell Tunnel? And maybe says, that's an urban legend. Two elderly people got badly scalded when they tried to climb into the lava cauldron. And then I love how she takes like the little plastic film and, and puts it over the top so it has the two actors standing yeah. inside the, love, the, the lava cauldron. And you just hear Mort Myers go, Just like the poster! <laughs> that's one thing I didn't understand is uh, how turning it, this movie into a ride was going to make it any more money. <laughs> <laughs> but, I guess... Maybe... I guess there's like a licensing deal you get for it or something maybe i mean i just i'm not i'm not one of those you know hollywood insiders so i just don't know <laughs> maybe i don't know how that works i love that the finished product of the of the ride is effectively like they just put a picture over it because they still have the, <laughs> the voiceover of the tunnel to hell coming after the tunnel of love indubitably <laughs> yeah they don't really do a good job of it and this is where you know we get some stuff about who people think rita leads is and the narrator keeps telling people that she isn't who she says she is, <laughs> like correcting them over and over again. She's, this is the funny part, because Michael says she even plays the banjo. And in a little bit, we'll get a scene where as Michael tries to t- speak to Rita, she just keeps playing the banjo throughout the whole thing and just doesn't stop. Um, and it, I don't know if it is really Charlie's there on playing the banjo, um, but if not, it's it's very well done. Um, yes. And this is where, and I, I like the kind of finish to the scene, which is where Michael says, um, you know, I was at the, the property the Japanese funded today and the whole backside has moles. And Tobias says, yeah, that's Frank's problem too. Um, <laughs> and of course, this is where we get to the meeting and, you know, the surrogate is there. I, I love this little exchange where Michael says, uh, this dad cost us a fortune. And Larry goes, he's worth every penny. And we quickly cut to George going, hey, I didn't say that. 
Um, and I, I like the times in, particularly in this episode, where the surrogate decides to uh, kind of put himself in. Like rather than just kind of sitting back and just relaying messages, he decides that he's gonna kind of add stuff. Uh, and particularly later on, where Joe kind of talks about him in his particular way, and he decides to uh, kind of action on that. Um, and before this scene, there was a, a very brief cut scene where uh, the surrogate was at a, um, a meeting doing some pro bono work, um, and he's doing it for an African American family. And so obviously, the person who's accused is obviously African American, which makes for some um, quite funny line readings. Um, from Bob Einstein, as he 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 describes the uh, the the kind of the the thing that he's accused of, um, and Bob Loblaw um, enters, telling everyone that the Japanese are coming, um, and says that somebody tipped them off that the property wasn't ready for building. Now, I what I like about this mole storyline in this episode is everything that kind of gets leaked and all the information that gets leaked is like the information Michael gives to them is done in the presence of both Rita and Tobias. So when you watch the episode a second time, you're like, oh, well, everything is clearly coming from Tobias. But because Rita is always there as well, the implication is it could be from Rita. Um, uh, and then obviously... <laughs> um, I like here how Buster is so easily led when Lucille talks about um, Rita and says that uh, if Michael hadn't been so busy with his English muffin... <laughs> Joe, Joe mutters under his breath typical and Buster goes delicious and then of course <laughs> Lucille as she leaves the room she says I need a drink which will set up a joke like in literally a couple of lines time and then of course Buster as she leaves says I'll take an English muffin um, which I like how quickly it like got into his head <laughs> that's what he wanted and then obviously this is this is where you know Michael says that uh, they come from a culture that values honour and respect and this is where we got Job, and then Buster, and then George, and then the surrogate, all doing, uh, just saying the word Godzilla or Gojira, and just mm -hmm. making like Godzilla noises, and it just kind of mm -hmm. breaks down so quickly. Godzilla! Godzilla! <laughs> this is where Michael is like, this needs to stop now. Uh, this is exactly what we shouldn't do when they show up. Uh, and of course, it's at this point that we get a, a little payoff for what is already a very quick setup for the joke where Lucille makes a noise and Michael goes, that's enough. And she's like, what, we're out of vodka? <laughs> and then, of course, she makes another noise and he's like, that's enough. And she's like, I'm laughing. And I love how Lucille's the one who kind of gets to just keep doing this kind of Godzilla-like impression, but under the, under the guise of other things. <laughs> yep. And obviously that pays off a lot later in the episode uh, once the Japanese investors have turned up. Um, and this, of course, <laughs> leads to Job coming up with a plan that might have actually worked. That's the weird thing is he comes up with a plan and it, he could have conceivably pulled this off. And then, you know, Job talks about how they, you know, they need to build a miniature city and put it outside a window. Tell it's them that it's far away. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it'll look real if you squint. And I love Job's extremely racist line as he says, God knows they're squinters. Yes. Um, <laughs> and of course, Job makes this suggestion to, to, to his dad. And uh, Larry gets to say his own name, essentially. He gets to... Even though, obviously, the character is Larry Middleman, which, again, is a wonderful uh, Arrested Development type name, uh, he gets to say another brilliant idea, Einstein. Um, <laughs> which, you know, because, obviously, he is Einstein, uh, I think that's that's like quite a funny little joke. 
Um, and, you know, <laughs> Job attempts to <laughs> hurl the same insult at Buster unsuccessfully when Buster kind of um, wants to build it with Job. And he says, <laughs> that's another brilliant idea, Steinberg. <laughs> Which is oh, Job. This doesn't kind of make any uh, kind of sense. Um, yeah. Because George Cena has this kind of weird little storyline going on throughout all these episodes where he's been put under house arrest and he keeps trying to escape. Obviously, he <laughs> he suggests that, you know, because, you know, Bob says that, you know, if they do anything with the Japanese under false pretenses, it's committing fraud and he can't, you know, endorse that. Um, and this is where George says life isn't some cheesy Japanese movie where the hero pulls on a pair of jet pants and flies off into the balcony like Astro Boy. Um, which is an unusual reference for um, Arrested Development to be making, um, mm-hmm. I guess. I wouldn't think of George Senior as being like an Astro Boy fan. Um, but, you know, I guess um, there it is. And so, of course, um, this is where he has the idea to search for jet pants, which is not... And, and uh, it's noticeable as well that the site that he searches on uh, that is obviously not Google is um, it's called like InfoMole, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously uh, another little kind of joke towards the, the whole moles thing. And, you know, this is what he's going to do is he's going to order a jetpack so he can escape out of the um, out of the, the apartment. And at the same time, um, you know, Michael has ordered the the train set uh, for George Michael, uh, and of course both of those plots will converge. Um, and you know, I like that Bob Loblaw says, um, you know, this room or someone in it might even be wired with a listening device. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> they go dramatically around the members of the family before settling on the surrogate who has a cat that says surrogate with a little kind of like camera and microphone. And then there's a little bit of kind of um, a meta joke as the boom for the uh, the kind of documentary crew kind of drops into frame for a, a brief moment. Mm-hmm. And then obviously this is where we, we kind of, we, we go back to the storyline of the start of this season. We talk about the British syndicate that has set up George Senior. Of course, Lucille, this is where she says that Michael has already plugged our leak. and then i like that job describes rita as she's british-ish and then of course buster says she's a spy Uh, and then (laughs) i love how we then get to see after michael says he hasn't told rita anything this is where we see him previously at the uh the restaurant where he's talking about the pushing (laughs) through to the lighter treasons and then we see him explaining about the japanese backers and then we see him talking about the whole kind of uh how they raided the pension fund and as he does this, Rita is playing the banjo throughout the whole thing. Um, and then, of course, Buster says once again, she's a spy. This is where we find out that the source goes by the name Mr. F. Uh, this is where Lucille says it could be an alias. And Buster says, alias is a show about a spy. <laughs> Which is true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, of course, alias was actually in the previous season was the was the show that went out at the same time as Arrested Development so it's actually a competing uh. show uh, uh, this is where Michael goes to Rita <laughs> and we get to see a news report where, where John Beard says Hell Tunnel takes another name will it take another life and Rita is like <laughs> on the phone with Michael and she goes oh I say yes uh, which Michael uh, reads as agreement to go out with him 
the next day, George Michael is is you know dressed for um, school in his Jack Welch suit, <laughs> which is I don't know that's going to help make uh, George Michael any more popular than he already is at school. Um, and this is one of my favorite jokes where um, he says to his dad because obviously you know he he says that he's going to start having some fun. And George Michael says, I don't know, fun and failure both start out the same way. And they both stand there dramatically for a second. And then we pan over and we see that there's a poster up on the wall that says, fun and failure both start the same way. And I don't know who would have put that on a poster. And I don't know who would have given that poster to George Michael. Um, But it kind of explains why George Michael has a problem having fun, if that's the poster that he's been looking at. Um, although there is a suggestion as it gets torn down and we see the uh, Cousin Dangerous poster that maybe George Michael just put it there to hide that poster. Michael says, let's just go and, and rip this down, which I just kind of, I kind of like how uh, he, he, it's just such a, it's such an odd moment, but um, uh, kind of sums up, sums up the idea that Michael doesn't like having fun. Something which a few people have said throughout the series to him that, you know, he doesn't know how to f- have fun. Uh, and obviously he's very serious um and you know this is this is where the surrogate turns up at the model home for some reason and i don't know why <laughs> i'm not sure why he's he's at the model home because there's no meeting going on the family's not there like it's just kind of odd uh and then he finds you know the train set i like how as george senior is telling him stuff he's saying it all out loud <laughs> i do love the line that's uh He's telling him how to pick up the box. He says, left. No, my left. You're right. It's like you're both facing the same direction. So his left would be your left. <laughs> George Sr. and his obsession with ice cream sandwiches rears its head once more as he goes to the kitchen. While he's in the kitchen, he figures out that he could try and get past the sensors by going behind the fridge. Um, and so he moves the fridge out and he goes behind. And then Buster comes in and says this really odd line as he notices that the fridge is out of place, where he says, if mother sees this, she will blow a cow. I don't know what that's meant to mean. It's like such an odd line. And then obviously, this is where um, Buster walks into the room where the communication with the surrogate is, and he sees the train set. And then obviously, Job has also seen the train set, and he talks about building the tiny town together. And then, of course, Buster says... Uh, goody, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> of course, it gets relayed to Larry as, yay, I want to do that, goody. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, Job and Buster are thrilled, and the narrator tells us only Larry was disappointed, but he was such a pro, you'd never know. Um, now, something I didn't mention in the earlier gym scene, but as we go back to the gym with Tobias and Frank, and that is, of course, that Tobias is wearing his cutoffs um, underneath, uh-huh. uh, like, his gym stuff, so he's uh, yeah, he's, yeah. Back in, he's back in the cutoffs. Uh, I assume trying to hide his thunder. Um, and, you know, Frank kind of tells him that he needs Tobias to kind of do this to be a mole. And Tobias says, I shall be a bigger, hairier mole than the one on your inner left thigh. <laughs> oh, Tobias. <laughs> and of course, on the uh, Tantamount studio tour, uh, Michael and Rita see Frankie Muniz. And we get just a tiny bit of his line where he says he doesn't understand about bovine spongiform encephalitis. <laughs> Which I kind of I kind of like the idea here of like Frankie Muniz 
because he seems to be dressed in like a he seems to be doing some kind of like high school film but he's obviously trying to act you know more like an adult um and then obviously this is where rita says look it's malcolm in the middle uh which i kind of like the fact that she's referring to him by the name of the program um and then of course frankie munez says it's more important to show how we make the show than to actually make it uh which feels a little bit sarcastic and of course george michael then gets the jetpack that george senior had organ had ordered and of course um you know michael just tells him you know have a little fun you're not going to break anything <laughs> not realizing that he hasn't got the train set um and then of course michael says uh, George Michael says, what if I crash? And Michael says, that's half the fun, uh, which I can kind of see how, you know, they, um, uh, the kind of misunderstanding there. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we get to the former tunnel of hell. And as we do, Michael goes to hold Rita's hand and he notices her bracelet, uh, which, of course, says Mr. F. Yeah. Um, and, or does it say Mr. F? I mean... <laughs> There's no, there's no gap between the R and the F, really. So this is where we see Uncle Trevor again. And once again, things get confusing because I don't know why he's followed them because that just, you know, makes Michael very suspicious. Rita says he wants you out of the picture and you hear Trevor shout, bloody right I do. And I must say, at this particular point, Dave Thomas does a very bad British accent. Like, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Charlie's there on at least tries something but and kind of gets it, but... I don't know. Uh, Dave Thomas is just not very good at this accent at all. Um, I don't know why he couldn't have been Canadian and been her uncle. Like, you know, he is Canadian. Just stick with that. And then this is where he gets bleeped, where I'm assuming he, he says, me fags are wet. And obviously they bleep him for that. Yeah, because I believe that um, also in uh, uh, a polite desktop. They, they delete pussy and they delete fag. <laughs> or not delete, but bleep. For Obviously for reasons that kind of make no sense. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, maybe gets a call about the latest lava cauldron accident. Now, if this is like a studio tour, I don't understand why maybe, if it's from what I can tell, like a development executive, why she's getting the call. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I, I like I like that uh, maybe says it's only been an hour. I'm going to lose this job. Maybe I should let Mort take me out to dinner. I don't know. I, I th Sometimes I think some of this, the Mort Myers stuff is a bit creepy, but uh, it's quite funny. Uh, and then this is where Michael sees Maybe and she goes to explain. And then, of course, Michael just does a very long speech, not listening to, to Maybe in any way. And then he walks off and Maybe just says, well, that was a freebie. Um, <laughs> uh, which is the second time she's actually almost been caught like doing this particular job. Um, we see uh, the jetpack, which was ordered from Jetpacks Was Yes, which I love as kind of like a, a mistranslation. The jetpack has like a, an, expl a, a D an instructional DVD that seemed to confuse more than it clarified. And we see kind of what you can do with the jetpack and what you can't do. And in the end, it amounts to you being able to rise off the ground about two feet and then move a little bit forwards and then fall back <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the narrator sums this up as saying, And it did seem like a lot of work for a little payoff. And then, of course, we get to see... Um, you know, Buster and Job. Since Buster lost his hand, there have been a few times where he's interacted with Job, but most of them have been Job being terrified of Buster's hook. 
Um, and for this series, we seem to have settled on the... Because obviously, Tony, um, Tony Hale, he was not completely keen on the idea of, of having to wear this hook all the time. And so for season three, they, they, they gave him the kind of fake hand, which was a little easier because he could just kind of wear it as a glove. Um, so here we kind of get a bit of, you know, interaction between Job and, um, and Buster. And obviously with Job not understanding that it is Buster that he's making this tiny town with. Uh, and I love when Buster, uh, when Job starts crying, um, and obviously Buster cries as well, but it only gets relayed with Larry saying he's crying now. Um, and Job says, look at us, we're like a couple of girls on the last day of camp, which is such a strange, <laughs> such a strange line. Anyway, I like how much Job makes fun of Michael for like crying at everything, but he tends to cry at everything. And, and then obviously, you know, Michael never cries at anything. <laughs> and so it's just this kind of weird kind of thing that Tobias, uh, sorry, Job seems to think that people crying at stuff is like something he can make fun of, but he does it at the drop of a hat, really. Um, and then, of course, this is where we find out that, you know, Frank is is wiring up Tobias and <laughs> Tobias starts doing mic checks where he says, Let Lily lick Lionel's lusty leathers. Is, <laughs> he says it a few times over and the other agent says the levels are fine <laughs> just to get him to stop <laughs> saying it over and over. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Frank says, you know, they need to capture George Sr. And I like how this is where we get a flashback to the poorly narrated reality series Scandal Makers. And I do love how Tobias describes it by saying, it's going to be tough to work into the character and it's really going to fight the costume I rented. <laughs> but I didn't take six weeks of improv classes at the Groundlings for nothing. And then obviously, um, you know, this is where Michael sets in motion him getting Rita thrown out of the country where he tells Bob Loblaw about her... Um, you know, legal, if she's, she might be an illegal alien. Um, and then obviously Bob Loblaw explains that if the family go ahead with a hoax, they can't take any money from the Japanese. Um, and then this is where we see Joe bring the Japanese in and he says, um, unfortunately the roads are out, so we can't take you up in person. And then as he opens up the, the kind of windows, the narrator says, it looked pretty good. And then, <laughs> then we get the, the, the narrator translating everyone saying, Ishiro said, I am reassured. And then Motoyoshi says, I thought the woman was pretending as a monster, but she was just out of vodka. <laughs> pays off the, both the Godzilla and vodka jokes from earlier. Um, but not before <laughs> uh, we see Tobias appearing as a mole. And <laughs> I, love, I love Tobias's dialogue as the mole where he says, um, I am very particular about building codes. This water tower does not pass muster. <laughs> as he yes. starts. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I just love it. I, I yes, do Mark? love little uh, Larry's little. Who can save our village? Just as <laughs> Tobias is smashing everything in his mole costume. Uh, <laughs> that was a nice little Godzilla touch right there. Yeah, because obviously he is essentially translating uh, Buster's words, but yeah, in a kind of weird, stilted way as well. Um, and then obviously, you know, George Michael appears <laughs> in his jetpack. <laughs> Tobias uh, kind of gets angry because he, he thinks his audition's being blown. And then the narrator translates the Japanese saying, I ache with embarrassment. Um, and then he tells us the Japanese were never heard from again, <laughs> which 
There's a lot of plots about the business in this show which get kind of brought up and then disappear, so I feel like that's a bit of a meta-commentary on the fact that a lot of those kind of disappear and we never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, <laughs> when Michael sees that Tobias is in the uh, costume, he says, that's no surprise. And then obviously when George Michael takes off his helmet, he's surprised that George Helmet's there. Um, and then obviously Michael's like, I didn't destroy that. I didn't buy that. I bought you the train set you, you guys just destroyed. Uh, of course, George Michael says, did you keep the receipt? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we find out that somebody else is wired. Uh, and Tobias says, that my friend Frank wired me. He wanted me to be a mole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved uh, Frank's goodbye, Thomas. Or goodbye, Tobias. Like, yeah. That was so, it was actually kind of uh, emotional for Frank. <laughs> That he had some yeah. sort of connection with Tobias as well. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do, I do love that. I do, I do like like his kind of his. I think the thing is, is what is Frank kind of views to is the only one who seems to view Tobias with any value for the family. He mm-hmm. seems to think that Tobias will be a good mole because he'll be able to get close to the people who've got the information. But obviously, most of the people with the kind of inner workings of the business don't want anything to do with Tobias. <laughs> Yeah, he's really chosen outsider to the family as far as any sort of like inside knowledge goes to. He's really chosen like the wrong person. Yes, Um, yes, he's the most outside of (laughs) of everybody in that family. And then, of course, this is where we get to Michael realizing that Tobias is Mister F, and Uh Rita's uncle, you know, was just Rita's uncle. Um, And then this is, of course, where. Job gets tipped off as to who is actually on the other end. <laughs> yeah. When Buster says, I've had the time of my life. And of course, Lucille's like, I think he's being sarcastic. And then of course, when he says, I'm not mother. And then he goes, I mean lover. And then we cut to Larry as he says, I like making love to mother. Um, and I think it's funny because if we'd have heard that come from Buster, it would have been a little bit more creepy. But hearing it from Larry translating it, uh, you know, it's quite funny. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course, this is where we find out um, that uh, the idiot parrot man has brought them together. And I love when Job goes, it took some idiot parrot man with a camera in his hat to bring us together. Uh, that's where Larry decides to punch Job. Um, and then we get back to Rita. And of course, she says someone has called the Bobbies on us. Um, and she's going to have to go back to Big Britain because, of course, she lives in Wee Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, this is where Michael decides he's going to marry her. They decide to do it now. Um, before you know her uncle gets out of the shower and she leaves a note and uh, <laughs> then we find out there is one piece of intelligence that Michael didn't have and then we see the conversation between Jay and Frank where he says uh, she's an MRF and he's like what's an MRF and it's like mentally retarded female and then <laughs> and then she says that's that explains what he's doing with him and what she's doing with him and the hats <laughs> yeah, yes and then we see um, her note, and it doesn't make any sense, but Trevor says she's going to marry him. And I don't know how he a, got that from the note. It's just, yeah, it's just an outline of her hand in a sad face. <laughs> that, that somehow translates to she's going to marry this man that she's run off with. Yes, and I, I, I like, of course, you know, in the Bluth family, it's you always leave a note. Um, so it's nice that the Rita is already doing that. And then, of course, on the next Arrested Development, we see George Sr. disorientated in the wall, uh, <laughs> making contact with a mole. And we see an actual mole in the wall, which causes George Sr. to scream. And then the narrator says, not that one. And then we see Anyong. And he's mm-hmm. saying, 
you've seen Anyong. Um, and then, of course, Rita has her prize and she opens it up and she starts eating it. <laughs> now, I will say before we get to the next episode, this doesn't make any sense because in the next episode, she's locked in the apartment and yeah. Michael has to try and break her out before they can go get married. So it's almost as if whoever wrote the next episode hadn't seen this episode. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's a small thing and I'll cover that more in depth next time. So is there anything else that you think we need to talk about in this episode? No, I think we've got it pretty much well covered. The return of Anyang. Those... Oh, yeah. yeah. That's paying off a joke that they set up in uh, season two where he's wearing a mold. Uh, t-shirt and of course as well you know that once we find out what his real name is in in exactly like six episodes time <laughs> um you know that also adds another twist to it um but yeah so um if there's nothing else to talk about in this episode then um on the next episode of i've made a huge mistake i'll be talking about the ocean walker which of course is the conclusion to the rita leeds uncle trevor storyline um, and is also the end of the uh, Larry Middleman storyline, <laughs> such as it Aww. is. Um, yeah, yeah. I, so wish they, I wish they could have kept him for the rest of the season because that would have been like a fun character to keep on. But uh, you know, I guess he had episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm to do or something. I don't know. He was busy at the time, yeah. but it was it was nice to have them. But anyway, there's still one more episode of them, so we're not going to say goodbye to them yet. Um, so let's go to plugs, and I'm going to start with Mark. Do you have anything you wish to plug? I've got nothing. <laughs> uh, I've got two things. Um, it's actually kind of the same thing. At, at the top of the episode, Darren mentioned that um, I also do a podcast called Forgotten Failure, so I'd like to plug that for sure. Um, and we also have um, sort of a short-form podcast, um, some mini-episodes, um, and they're actually a separate series. We also do, um, we're doing technically the first season of Power Rangers um, though it's actually the 18th season, which is the first season, but abridged. Um, so we're doing that. Those are like 20 minute episodes. They're great. They're fun. Um, if you want to check that out, it's all under forgotten failures. Um, we watch movies that are obscure or are otherwise forgotten and we see if they're worth having forgotten. Okay. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me today. That's... Oh, it was great. Yeah. Had a ton of fun. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.